The morning of June 27th was clear and sunny with the fresh warmth of a full summer day. The flowers were blossoming profusely and the grass was richly green. The people of the village began to gather in the square between the post office and the bank around 10 o'clock. In some towns, there were so many people that the lottery took two days and had to be started on June 20th. But in this village, where there were only about 300 people, the whole lottery took less than two hours. So it could begin at 10 o'clock in the morning and still be through in time to allow the villagers to get home for noon dinner. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I'm Chris, today here with... Christy Baxter. And Christy, yeah. how are we going to surprise the world this week with a story that we may have read? We're going to surprise the world by choosing one of them at which to throw stones by uh, talking about the lottery by Shirley Jackson. Excellent. And foreshadowing. Just <laughs> <laughs> heavy heavy foreshadowing <laughs> that's right so the lottery is one of those few short stories that anyone with a high school education has almost certainly read i read it in i think 10th grade yeah i think i was in 10th or 11th interestingly i asked my husband he is that one shining unicorn that never read it <gasps> whoa i know who did i marry <laughs> a shining unicorn apparently i win <laughs> <laughs> win victory uh <laughs> yes it is a story that looks at two sort of different things at the same time human nature and the evolution of our systems and particularly in this case social systems and the lottery is a great big downer Yes. Yes, it is. And the funny thing about that is it sure as hell doesn't start that way. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. It starts out so pleasant, small town, the sun's shining, the grass is green, people are chatting, kids are playing. Boy, does she rope you in <laughs> and, then, and then hang you with that rope. Yeah. I think one of the big interesting things about that is that Shirley Jackson is really good at using words uh like in in a way i see her sort of as a flip side of joyce carol Oates because she is able to take those little snippets those bits and amp up both the tension but also the sense of regularity she draws you in to what you think is a normal, regular world, and then plops down the fact that they have a lottery every year to <laughs> murder one of their own. Yeah, and she does it, like you said, she does it with that regularity. In addition to the, the really idyllic language of the opening and the scene that she sets, there's also the regularity that this is a tradition just like any other small town tradition, just like Christmas, Halloween, parades, festivals, you know, the things that you do every year. And it's just another one of those things where they all get together and, and pick someone to murder. And a way, again, bringing up Joyce Carol Oates, it's the flip side of 
uh, where are you going? Where have you been? It is this, there it is, the individuals choose to live in a regular town so they can enact their evil on the world. Here, the evil is a part of the world, but the individuals sort of justify themselves as, you know, this is our tradition. Yeah, they justify it by this is what we as a group have always done. And it's very much that that mob mentality that they use as justification. Like we've always done this as a group. So we are going to keep doing it as long as the people around me think it's okay. I can think it's okay. Yeah. And even in the story at Hint, it says, you know, many towns have given up this tradition already. And so it's already on the way out, which I think actually is kind of a cop out on Jackson's point because she is then separating it from, you know, they're actually at least somewhat slightly out of the norm because people realize that this is a barbaric practice. Yeah, you're right about that. I, I do agree it's a little bit of a cop-out because then it's not the the horror of this happens everywhere, every single town, every year. This is normal for everyone. It's just, well, this is normal for this town and probably a couple others around it. Yeah, exactly. And one, it makes me never want to go to Iowa. Uh, very much. <laughs> never want to go. But I think it's the characters in this one that become... Because it's not a character-driven piece. It is a setting-driven piece. But the characters all have that sort of Pepperidge Farm was there quality to them. <laughs> yes. Yes, they very much do. They're very, you know, there's the housewives. There's the men who go to their workaday jobs. There's the little kids. They're all sort of stock characters that you could just pull from from you know any stock photo sites <laughs> which which actually i think speaks to her ability as a writer to give us those kind of characters in this kind of setting and to make it not feel weird and weird I think or we're supposed cardboard. to think yeah exactly we're not supposed to feel like these are bumpkins. And I don't think we necessarily do. But I kind of think that that's maybe what she might have meant for us to take away from it. I get a hint of bumpkinism, I think, from, from some of the characters, especially the older ones who are, mm. you know, talking about those young fools. You know, they may as well be standing on their, their lawn, shaking their fist at the youngins. Mm -hmm. you, know, you youngins and your rap music and you're not stoning people to death every year <laughs> and it's like there, there definitely is a feeling that the, the older ones have a, a, a that isolation from the world and that insular quality to their community that they want to keep going exactly and i think the insularity is actually really key to making the lottery work and it also i now know if this ever happens and it will uh I am going to, uh, I have a system that is going to keep me from being chosen. Not living in that town? How about that? Well, it's obviously coming to Johnstown first. Damn it. Yeah, you're right. It probably is. <laughs> I know I'm right about that. <laughs> well, excellent. What other thoughts you got? Well, let's see. Let me check my notes. Okay. One thing that really strikes me about this story and in a way, it sort of relates to a lot that had been going on in the world around the time that she wrote it in the 40s. It was the 40s, right? 
1948. Okay, thank you. Was this, thank you, this casualness that the, the characters have about this activity. And again, we, we spoke about the regularity of it, the tradition aspect, that's just part of the fabric of their society. But it also speaks to how with those tools, by making something seem normal, we, come, we, we can become, become, I'm gonna try to say words that are actually words. We can become completely desensitized to horror and injustice. And 1948, you know, what had happened pretty recently where a bunch of people kind of just let something slide by without doing too much about it. Oh, yeah. The Black Dahlia murder. <laughs> Always with your head in the Hollywood murders. <laughs> Constantly. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think this is indicative of post-World War II literature. And in particular, post-World War II genre literature is this idea of the world has become a more savage place. Yes, very much. It, it definitely feels that way in hers and in several other of the pieces that we've read, as opposed to some of the pre-World War II pieces. There haven't been too many, but I'm thinking of a whistle and... And I'll come oh. to you, my lad. That's it. Thank you. I'm thinking <laughs> of that. And it's very you know, refined in its way, and it's, it's kind of gentle... And then you have this absolute horror and there's only what, like 40 some years separating the two, but a lot had happened in those 40 years to change how, how writers view things. That's right. We are now closer to the time of this story than this story was to Queen Victoria's reign. Wow. That's something to think about. Chris presents stupid facts he knows. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, I actually think that this is worthy of all the attention that it gets. I think it is a near to complete masterpiece of expression of post-World War II genre writing. But more importantly, I think it is an incredibly American story. Yeah, I can see why it has its place in the canon, especially in the you know high school and college canon being that it it lures the reader in so smoothly which is is really great for you know high school students you're kind of showing them some aspect of the world that you want to show them but you can't be preachy about it you can't be obvious you have to be slick and shirley jackson does that and does it well in a way that they are you know they learn something they, they have this visceral sense of horror and at what's going on that sneaks up on them. And I, I, th I think that really is a big part of its effectiveness and why it's such a ubiquitous story. Accurate. <laughs> Always pulling that chair out from underneath me. <laughs> I like to zig exactly when people think I'm going to zig. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's a very good way to sum all this up. Hey, Christy. Yes. After that point where you just reminded me, what are we going to be reading next week? Chris forgot that we're going to be reading The Swimmer by John Cheever. Woohoo! Swimming. Swimming. Right. And thus, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast. 